In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Brethren, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, ever Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Eleison, Christ Eleison, Christ Eleison, Let us pray. 
Almighty ever-living God, who govern all things, both in heaven and on earth, mercifully hear the pleading of your people and bestow your peace on our time. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Lord said to me, you are my servant, Israel, through whom I show my glory. Now the Lord has spoken, who formed me as his servant from the womb, that Jacob may be brought back to him and Israel gathered to him. And I am made glorious in the sight of the Lord, and my God is now my strength. It is too little, the Lord says, for you to be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the survivors of Israel. I will make you a light to the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. The word of the Lord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
justice in the vast assembly. I did not restrain my lips as you, O Lord, know. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Sosinus, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to you who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be holy. With all those everywhere, who call upon the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord, Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one of whom I said, A man is coming after me, who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I did not know him, but the reason why I came baptizing with water was that he might be made known to Israel. John testified further, saying, I saw the Spirit come down like a dove from heaven and remain upon him. I did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, 
on whomever you see the Spirit come down and remain. He is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now I have seen and testified that he is the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Last Sunday, we celebrated the baptism of Jesus, and Father Steve preached about the baptism of Jesus being sort of a bridge uh, into from Christmas time into ordinary time. And it's very fitting because, you know, we have these gospels about Jesus' infancy, and then we have one little story about him being lost in the temple. Uh, but other than that, for 30 years, Jesus is silent, and his public work, in a sense, begins again with his baptism. So uh, here, the second Sunday of Ordinary Time, we are once again brought back to the Jordan River, back to John the Baptist. But we have the Gospel of John here. Uh, and what's interesting about the Gospel of John and the baptism of Jesus is the baptism of Jesus is not in the Gospel of John. Right? It's in each of the, uh, the synoptic Gospels. But I always think it's, uh, it's good to read John's Gospel side by side with one of the synoptic Gospels because there's a lot of similarities in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They tell a lot of the same stories, right? make a lot of the same points. John was the, the latest gospel written. So it was, it was written some years after the other gospels. Uh, John's gospel is the last thing written in the New Testament. Um, so what that means is, first of all, the basic kerygma, the basic gospel had been out there. Right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel had been circulating for years. Certainly John himself would have read those gospels. And he knew that people were, basic, were, at this point, Christians were familiar with the basic kerygma. What John is doing in his gospel is he's giving us kind of a, a contemplative reflection on the life of Jesus. And so I really think it's interesting to read the synoptic gospels side by side with John, because in a lot of ways, the synoptic gospels are reporting things that happened, and John is almost giving us a theological analysis of what has happened, right? We know John was, he's a, along with uh, St. Martha, he's a wonderful sign, or I'm sorry, uh, Martha's sister, Mary. He's a wonderful image of the contemplative life. Right? He, was, he was particularly favored among the disciples. He was you know, the beloved disciple. He was the youngest of the disciples. He's the one that reclined on Jesus' breast at the Last Supper. He was also the only one of the apostles that was at the foot of the cross. Everyone else was hiding. St. John was there with the women, right? So St. John knew Jesus very well and presumably spent the rest of his life after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus really contemplating on the things that he witnessed. And so his gospel gives us a very theological take on things. So the description of Jesus being baptized in the Jordan is not actually discussed in this gospel. What John really focuses on is the testimony of John the Baptist. And when you read John's gospel, testimony is actually a really important theme. So important that in the, the famous prologue to John's gospel, where he tells us in the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. And then there's a little parenthesis that says, and John testified to his glory. So right there in, in the opening part of the gospel, in the prologue, we have John the, Bapt or John the Evangelist telling us that John the Baptist, who was a, a well-known prophet, who was developing a rather large following of the Israelites, he was the first prophet that they'd had in hundreds of years. He points to Jesus. So this man, John the Baptist, bears testimony, gives witness to Jesus, right, that, uh, that he recognizes this is the Son of God. And really what we have from John, for the most part, 
everything that he says and everything that he does is a preparation for and appointing the way to Jesus. And even here today, he says, look, I've been telling you, there is one coming after me. I baptize with water, but it's so that they will recognize the son when he comes. And he is coming after me. I'm unworthy to loosen his sandals. He will baptize with the spirit, right? And in fact, a chapter later in the gospel of John, we have another dialogue between John's disciples and Jesus because Jesus and his apostles come and start baptizing at the, at the Jordan River and John's disciples ask him about this and he says look I told you there's one coming after me who's greater than me I must decrease that he may increase now this puts me in mind uh, this this testimony this witness of John the Baptist it puts me in mind of a beautiful uh, I think it's from a homily of Saint Augustine where he talks about the relationship between the word and the voice because right, John is identified as the voice crying out in the desert that's prophesied in Isaiah. But this voice is communicating the word, which is Jesus Christ. And St. Augustine talks about the relationship between voice and word. And he says that uh, the word lives long after the voice has faded away. The word lives long after the voice has faded away. The word, of course, is Jesus, the living word of God. Now, I think an example of this idea of the word lives after the voice is gone is think about the power of speech, right? It's, it, I, I will never tire of talking about or thinking about or teaching or preaching about uh, the power of the word. The, like speech, words that we speak either to ourselves or into the lives of one another, uh, these words have power. They inform us, they deceive us, they shape us, they damage us, right? And if you think about some of the the really profound words that have been spoken to you in, in your life, right? Words either of love and affirmation or even perhaps words of uh, rejection. They can shape us and influence us for many, many years, long after the word has been spoken, long, long after the voice fades away. The voice that communicates a word to us, it lasts just like that, but then what really lasts is what has been spoken. And he says, uh, what Augustine is saying is that John the Baptist is like this. John the Baptist is the voice, but, the, but what he's speaking is the word. And the word is what actually matters. And so once he speaks the word, he fades away. And he will himself say, I have to decrease that he may increase. Right? I, I'm just pointing the way to him. Once you have him, you don't need me anymore. Right? And so John the Baptist is really a great image to us of somebody that, that really points the way to Jesus and then recedes. Now, Let's reflect a bit on witness. Right? All of us have witnesses in our lives who give us testimony, and we need witnesses. Right? Every one of us, if we have faith, we have come to the faith because somebody has witnessed the faith to us. Somebody has told us uh, about Jesus, and if, if they were a good witness, if they were a powerful witness, what they did is they actually gave testimonies. They didn't, they didn't just give us the catechism but they are able to show us the difference that, you know, a good witness shows me the difference that Jesus makes in their life. That's the difference between somebody who's just reporting something or teaching something and somebody who's giving testimony. All right, I can stand up here and teach you about the catechism. That's one thing. But if I can tell you about how Jesus has been present in my life and what he's done for me, I'm not just teaching, I'm giving testimony. I'm a witness then. And when we have witnesses in our lives, it powerfully evokes faith, it brings about faith, it strengthens faith, it deepens faith. But then if those witnesses 
have really been effective and what they're witnessing to is Jesus, not themselves, then really what happens is to some extent the witness, the testimony fades away, but what they witness to grows within us. Right, so I can think about people in my life that you know, I will always be grateful for, to them for bringing me to faith in various ways. However, I have to acknowledge that the faith itself, my relationship with Jesus, right, the word that they gave to me has become a much greater fact in my life than they once were. And this is, this is really important. Right? We need witnesses. I think we need to always continue to have witnesses in our lives to help strengthen us and encourage us and remind us of the truth of the faith. But ultimately, it's what they witness to that really matters. Right? The word needs to remain. The word is what we put our faith in. Not that we don't put our faith in the witnesses. We don't put our faith in the testimony. Right? It's important that we experience the love of God and are able to verify its presence in our life so that the witnesses can, their voices can fade and they can eventually fall silent. There are great dangers, brothers and sisters, when we mistake the witness for what they're witnessing to. There are great dangers in our lives when we mistake the voice for the word. Just to give a, a, small, a couple small examples, you know, I have preached often about beauty and the importance of beauty in our lives and the fact that we need to uh, attend, be attentive to, uh, to having beauty in our lives because beauty provokes us. It provokes us, I think, ultimately to seek uh, the one who is beautiful, who is God. But there's a danger if we, if we don't realize that beauty provokes us to look for something more if we just focus on the beauty itself, then we become what's called aesthetes, right? Or we fall into aestheticism where we almost, it's almost like we worship the, the sensible beauty that, that first provoked our hearts. And uh, I love this passage from uh, C.S. Lewis in an in a essay he wrote called the, the Weight of Glory. He says, if we, you know, we see a beautiful vista or we hear a song or something and it provokes something in our hearts, but if we mistake the thing itself for what was provoked in our hearts, then that thing, whether it be, like I said, whether it be, let's say a painting or, or a piece of music, if we think that it was what brings us joy and not that it's speaking of something else, then those things turn to dumb idols and break the hearts of their worshipers. Another example of this would be the way that our culture idolizes romantic love. Right? Romantic love, any, any, any encounter of human love is, is something that provokes us and makes us feel alive and, and really is prompting us to seek more. But sometimes we just get stuck on the human love, right? Our culture especially idolizes romantic love, right? We, we, we approach marriage as if it's the thing that is gonna complete us and make us whole and, you know, and be the, the missing ingredient to our happiness. But we can also see in our culture the devastating effects when we inevitably realize that romantic love makes promises that it can't fulfill. And if I've hung all my hopes for happiness on my spouse, then my heart's going to be broken. And perhaps if, if I don't have anywhere else to look for my hope, I lose hope. Right? So we see the importance of witness. We see the importance of the things that provoke us. But we also see the importance of understanding the difference between the provocation and the thing that we're being provoked to seek. We need to know the difference between the voice and the word. Otherwise, we get ourselves into to real trouble. Now, uh, I think, you, I think many of you probably know this already, but it's, it's a, there's a letter from the diocese in our bulletin today. Uh, and it's, 
basically announcing that a man who served as, uh, he's a priest, he served as a pastor here for six years. Uh, he, in 2011, was removed from active ministry. Uh, a church trial found him guilty uh, of abuse, and he's been removed from ministry. But recently, the, the state of Arizona brought forth six new charges, uh, and he's been indicted on six new charges. Six people have come forth uh, and made credi credible uh, accusations of abuse, and he's been indicted, right? And the, um, you know, the diocese has a statement that's in our bulletin today, so if you're interested, please make sure you pick that up. Uh, now, unfortunately, we've dealt with so much of this in the last, let's say, 20 years that it has, in a sense, lost our ability to shock us, I think, but it hasn't lost our ability to hurt, and it hasn't lost our, its ability to scandalize. Uh, but here's the thing. I had a professor in seminary who was an old religious sister. She was a canon lawyer, so she spent her life dealing with the mess in the church. And she used to tell us, uh, gentlemen, a priest cannot be scandalized by anything. And I thought that was a great, that was a great statement. Years later, I heard a, a, another religious sister, a nun, tell me that. I said, well, you know, nuns can't be scandalized by anything. And, what, when she, and I was surprised to hear that, and I, I, thought that, I thought that I had this, you know, wonderful little phrase that, that nobody knew, but apparently this phrase, I've, I've learned since this phrase is around the church, and I would really expand it out and say, really, a Catholic, a real believing Catholic can't be scandalized by anything. And I'll tell you why. It's because uh, we don't fool ourselves. It is not and has never been an authentic part of the faith to say that because we are Christians, that we cannot fall. In fact, I think that's why we have the sacrament of reconciliation. We're very honest with ourselves about our own brokenness. And if our faith is strong, if our faith is deep, if we have allowed the word to grow in us so that it's not just the witnesses to the word, but it's actually the word itself that lives in us, then we have the strength of faith to endure even when the people who are supposed to be witnesses to us fail us. And I will tell you as an insider, brothers and sisters, as a priest who knows many priests, who lives with priests, I even know a few bishops, I will tell you without fail, we will all disappoint you. Now hopefully most of us won't disappoint you as drastically as, as some have disappointed us. But we will, I, I can tell you with certainty, if you spend enough time with me, especially like off the clock, I will let you down. Right? You, you will be disappointed in the witness that I give you. But hopefully, whatever it is the church is able to witness to us, hopefully the church speaks the word to us, but in such a way that the word becomes a living reality in our lives. And we are not delusional, delusional about what the church is. We know the church brings us the Lord, but we also know that it's the Lord that saves us. It's the Lord that gives us strength. It's the Lord that makes the church holy. There's a wonderful reflection on this uh, that Pope Benedict gives, and he says, can we really, when we look at the, the, the statement in the, in the creed about the one holy Catholic church, can we really credibly say the church is holy? We have so much experience of the brokenness of the church. What he says is, it's a good reminder to us that when we say the Holy Catholic Church, we don't mean, and we have never meant, that everybody in the church is holy. We don't mean, and we have never meant, that everyone in the hierarchy is holy. 
In fact, the church has been aware for thousands of years of how broken are her members and even her shepherds. When we say the church is holy, it's because the church is the body of Christ and he makes us holy. And it's because the church is enlivened by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit makes the church holy. And the Holy Spirit, if we allow it, enters into our brokenness and hopefully heals us and moves us on and makes us more holy so that we can be more fitting members of this church. He also tells us that when we see the brokenness of the church, we shouldn't be scandalized by that. Because this is, the church is Jesus' continued presence in the world. And if we read the Gospels, Jesus was always present to sinners and broken people. In fact, so many of the people that saw Jesus were scandalized because he ate with tax collectors and prostitutes, and they were upset about this. And he tells us, it's not healthy people that need a doctor, it's the sick people that need a doctor. And I came to call sinners. I came to save the lost sheep. This is always how the Lord is with us. He wants us to get better, but he enters into our brokenness, he enters into our mess, and he accompanies us on our path to sanctity. He doesn't stand across the finish line of holiness and say, only when you become perfect uh, will I keep company with you. And so what we, when we see the brokenness of the church, we're actually seeing the continued presence of Jesus in the world, just like he was present in the world in the time of the gospel, accompanying us in our brokenness. He also says, by the way, that if, if we expect everybody in the church to be spotlessly holy, then that's a hopeless thing for us because in a church like that, there's no place for you and me. Because right, I know that I have to be tolerated, I have to be forgiven, I have to be borne up. And so I should expect basically the same thing for all my brothers and sisters in the church. And so I say this, brothers and sisters, not because I want to say, let's not be hurt by this, let's not be outraged, let's not be, but let's not really be scandalized when Christians disappoint us. We need to be witnesses to each other, but we need to be witnesses to the word who is holy, who is alive, who does transform our lives. Uh, and when that relationship becomes real and when we can verify the real presence of the word in our lives, then we can handle it when our witnesses, even when our shepherds fail us. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried, and rose again on the third day, 
in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Called to be disciples, let us bring our needs before the Lord. For Pope Francis and all shepherds, may the Lord continue to bless them and guide them in the ways of discipleship. We pray to the Lord. For our elected officials, may God help them in their work to protect the dignity and sanctity of human life from conception through natural death. We pray to the Lord. For those who suffer from mental illness or emotional distress, and for all who love and care for them, we pray to the Lord. For this family of believers, may the Lord continue to bless us and increase us in faith, hope, and charity, we pray to the Lord. For an increase in vocations to the priesthood and the consecrated life, especially from St. Thomas the Apostle, we pray to the Lord. For those who have died in faith, may Jesus, the Lamb of God, welcome them into the eternal kingdom of the Father, we pray to the Lord. Heavenly Father, hear us this day as we place our needs before you. We ask this through Christ our Lord.
Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Grant us, O Lord, we pray, that we may participate worthily in these mysteries. For whenever the memorial of this sacrifice is celebrated, the work of our redemption is accomplished through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right to give you thanks, truly just to give you glory, Father most holy. For you are the one God living and true, existing before all ages and abiding for all eternity, dwelling in unapproachable light. Yet you, who alone are good, the source of life, have made all that is, so that you might fill your creatures with blessings and bring joy to many of them by the glory of your light. And so in your presence are countless hosts of angels, who serve you day and night, and gazing upon the glory of your face, glorify you without ceasing. With them we too confess your name in exaltation, giving voice to every creature under heaven as we acclaim. We give you praise, Father most holy, for you are great and you have fashioned all your works in wisdom and in love. You formed man in your own image and entrusted the whole world to his care, so that in serving you alone, the Creator, he might have dominion over all creatures. And when through disobedience he had lost your friendship, you did not abandon him to the domain of death, for you came in mercy to the aid of all so that those who seek might find you. Time and again you offered them covenants and through the prophets taught them to look forward to salvation. And you so loved the world, Father most holy, that in the fullness of time you sent your only begotten Son to be our Savior. Made incarnate by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, he shared our human nature in all things but sin. To the poor he proclaimed the good news of salvation, to prisoners freedom, and to the sorrowful of heart joy. To accomplish your plan, he gave himself up to death, and rising from the dead, he destroyed death and restored life and that we might live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again for us. He sent the Holy Spirit from you, Father, as the first fruits for those who believe. 
so that bringing to perfection his work in the world, he might sanctify creation to the full. Therefore, Lord, we pray, may this same Holy Spirit graciously sanctify these offerings, that they may become the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ for the celebration of this great mystery, which he himself left us as an eternal covenant. For when the hour had come for him to be glorified by you, Father most holy, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And while they were at supper, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, taking the chalice filled with the fruit of the vine, he gave thanks and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which we poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith. We proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, O Lord, as we now celebrate the memorial of our redemption, we remember Christ's death and his descent to the realm of the dead. We proclaim his resurrection and his ascension to your right hand. And as we await his coming in glory, we offer you his body and blood, the sacrifice acceptable to you, which brings salvation to the whole world. Look, O Lord, upon the sacrifice which you yourself have provided for your church, and grant in your loving kindness to all who partake of this one bread and one chalice, that gathered into one body by the Holy Spirit, they may truly become a living sacrifice in Christ to the praise of your glory. Therefore, Lord, remember now all for whom we offer this sacrifice, especially your servant Francis, our Pope, Thomas, our bishop, Eduardo, his assistant, and the whole order of bishops, all the clergy, those who take part in this offering, those gathered here before you, your entire people, and all who seek you with a sincere heart. Remember also those who have died in the peace of your Christ and all the dead whose faith you alone have known. To all of us, your children, grant, O merciful Father, that we may enter into a heavenly inheritance with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, and with your apostles and saints in your kingdom. There, with the whole of creation, freed from the corruption of sin and death, may we glorify you through Christ our Lord, through whom you bestow on the world all that is good. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. At the Savior's command, informed by divine teaching, we dare to say, 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed.
Church. Uh...